You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Back to Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Waltergens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, you got a subject for us? Yep. <laughs> Get right into it. All right. So I just kind of want people to know, we've been doing this over a year now. And the first year, we breezed through like 50 years of history in okay. one year. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to go, we're slowing it way down no, no. from here on out because we're going to get some very small topics and years might take months. I mean, <laughs> if we want if we want 1950 to 2000 to last another 10 years, we're going to slow this way down. down. So just letting people know those giant sweeping episodes are over. Yeah, where we had one episode that covered all of the 1930s yeah, or something done, like that. <laughs> done. No more of that. Very specific topics. So, this time we're going to talk about the Provenzano brothers. And it's a very short. At least it should be really short. We'll see where this goes. We'll but see. Okay. August 1958. The FBI receives a tip that Frank Balistrieri is going to be replaced as the head of the Milwaukee Mafia. He's not even the head of the Milwaukee Mafia yet, but he's supposed to be. But they're hearing rumors that some other guy might take that place. That man's name is Angelo Provenzano, the president of the Dairy Lane Shop, as well as the owner of the donut shop at the corner of 6th and Wisconsin for all your Mafia donut needs. I I have a question. Yes. So so at this point in time, they're referring to Frank Balistrieri as the mob leader, but he's sort, not sort actually. Of. So like, does the mob announce the retirement of the current mob boss, and and so they already know that who's going to be the next mob boss or what? Or- Apparent. Well, see, this is the thing. Apparently, even though the switch doesn't really happen for like another two years, apparently they're already discussing it at this time. Like. Who's going to be our next guy? You know, getting getting that guy ready to go. So and and the, Frank has done such a good job of putting himself out there that um, he's kind of like the face of the organization, even before he's the boss. Everybody knows who he is. So it was just reasonable to assume that he was going to become the boss, basically. Yeah, I think everybody just kind of thought he was going to be the guy, and then he was the guy. So like they knew two years before he was the guy that he would be the guy. Okay. So. The reason they thought that they might have to replace Frank Balistri is because he's just too public of a figure. He brings on too much publicity with law enforcement and the media. And really, you don't want a guy being in the bus when law enforcement and the media are already paying attention to him. That's a bad guy. But uh, Angelo Provenzano doesn't really make the newspapers or the documents, the law enforcement documents. So he might be a good guy. But the problem was, who was he? <laughs> uh, so I want to I want to get into that. This is a, a report that the FBI got, and I don't know because the informants' names are hidden. I don't know who told them this because I feel like this was a a wild goose chase rumor. Because at an, is this the only time we'll ever hear this guy's name? Basically, yeah. He had no known connections to any mafia member either by family or marriage or anything of the sort. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't a mafia guy, but it does make him kind of an unlikely candidate. He arrived in America with his family in the 1920s, and he settled in Milwaukee in the Third Ward, which, you know, where you would. 
his father managed a pool hall. Now, that's reasonable that if his father runs a pool hall, he's going to meet some questionable characters because, you know, shady people hang out and play pool. Um, I know that's what I, when I play pool, I'm hanging out with shady characters. (laughs) So uh, it's reasonable. Angelo becomes a citizen in the 1930s. Um, The witnesses he has are all, as far as I know, perfectly legitimate people. He doesn't have any mob guys coming up to to testify for him. So again, not really clear what connections he has. Um, He goes into the business of managing movie theaters, which he does uh, more or less for the rest of his life. He gets a little bit into the nightclub business later on, but primarily movie theaters. He's even the president of the theater owners of Wisconsin Club. Wow. So, uh, you know, pretty prominent guy. But, yeah, I mean, not not known to be connected to, to questionable people. For a while there, he's the national director of athletics for the Italian organization, the Unico organization, which is like a nationwide lobbying group for Italians. That's about it. I mean, he's... So he has really even very little, almost no criminal history, really. No, right? not really. Pinball machine operator Joe Beck speaks with FBI agents way later, 1963, about Angelo Provenzano. Beck said, you know, six years ago, Angelo saw me having lunch with the chief of police. And shortly after that, uh, he asked me to get the chief of police to help out Tony Mackey. Tony Mackey, who is a mob guy. There's no indication that Beck did any such thing. He also told the agents that two years prior, he had hired a girl who, unknown to him, was also working as a cashier at a place run by Provenzano. Angelo called Beck up and said he had better fire that girl in a half an hour or else he had better watch out. Beck did not take him seriously and did not fire the girl. So this is the only time we get any real mention he, he's asked to put in a good word to the police chief about a guy who I know is a mob member. Mm-hmm. And he wants this girl fired because apparently he's jealous that she's working at some other place besides his place. That's it. That's like the extent of, of his uh, criminal record. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's, I mean, that's rumor. That's doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean anything. Now we're going to backtrack just a little bit. And we're going to talk about Angelo's brother, Frank. Because again, Frank, everyone's name is Frank. Frank Provenzano. Frank's job is a little bit different. He's not in the theater business. He works for the IRS. He starts working at the IRS in 1949. In the early 1960s, he's at the center of a scandal when Frank Balistrieri, our, our friend the mob boss, went on trial for taxes, like you do. Provenzano happened to be gay. And this was an open secret, even though... You could not be a federal employee and be gay. That was actually illegal at the time. People, uh, I guess they knew this about him. So he wasn't too obvious or didn't do anything that was going to call attention to it. And they just kind of, you know, they kind of let it slide. But here's the thing. During the Balistrieri tax trial, both sides, both Balistrieri's attorneys and the government's attorneys, accused Frank Provenzano of falsifying the records. They said that, oh... Balistrieri was going to out you as gay if you didn't correct his tax returns to make them legit. Even though it was well, everybody was well aware already this guy was gay. Right. (laughs) And Balistrieri's attorney said, 
no, no, no. The government was going to out him as gay if he didn't take the taxes and make them look like he screwed them up. So they both were kind of going at it like this. What the actual truth is, I don't know. I mean, it's too hard to follow the tax documents to know what was actually changed, if anything was actually changed. But both sides like accused this guy, like got him caught up in it. So it's crazy. Um, these kind of things would follow him for a while. A few years later, Frank Provenzano is now a group supervisor um, at the IRS. Don't know what that is, but I mean, you know, he's got guys working for him. He's accused of demanding one of his employees to allow him to perform homosexual acts. Frank performing homosexual acts on the employee. Uh, Exactly what, you know, it doesn't say, I don't know. And the details of this, I'm really not sure. But I suspect what actually happened is not as simple as that. I cannot imagine he just randomly went into (laughs) one of his employees and was like, hey, you're kind of cute. Can we go do something? (laughs) I don't think that's how that played out. But that's once it gets to like the public, that's the way it appears because they didn't want to print that stuff in the papers and stuff. So I'd love to actually know how that went down. I feel like this makes him sound way more questionable than he was. And then again, a couple years later, still. Still working for the IRS, so apparently that wasn't the worst thing. They kept him. A couple years later, a man named Bill Lasso goes to the office of his superior at the IRS. He said, hey, I was visiting Frank Provenzano in his room at a Wausau motel, and he made homosexual advances towards me. He told his boss, his boss told his boss, and they got in an outside inspector, like the internal affairs kind of guy to come in. So an inspector comes in, he interviews Bill Lasso. Bill Lasso basically repeats the same story. And he goes, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you up in a motel. And then we're going to have you go out to dinner with this guy. (laughs) And we'll see if after dinner, if he follows you back to your motel. So they, they set up the dinner. These guys, you know, chat about whatever tax guys chat about. And afterwards, sure enough, they say, hey, let's go back to the motel for a while. So they go back. One of the IRS investigators is hiding in the closet <laughs> in the motel. I don't know how long he's been in there, but he's but he was waiting for them to get back. So the investigator is hiding in the closet, and he's like peeping out through like the keyhole or whatever, watching this. And apparently, nothing actually happens. But the investigator is like, "Yep, I definitely saw him trying to make some homosexual advances." <laughs> so. A couple days later, they they call him into they call Frank Provenzano into his boss's office, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna put you under oath for a second here. You're under oath. Have you at any time, under any circumstances, made any homosexual advances towards Bill Lasso?" And Frank says, "No." Well, of course, now they think he's just lied under oath, so he's kind of forced to resign, and. They end up charging him with perjury because they're like, we put you under oath and you lied to us. But the perjury ultimately ends up getting tossed because they're like, kind of like forced this guy into this. Um, But, you know, but he's out of the IRS. At this point, I think they've been trying to get him out for years and now they've finally done it. But all in all, with, with even the brother, even though he has a long criminal, I mean, I guess he has a long record. Let's just say that. Okay. He... Still, really no tie to the mafia, right? No. I mean, other than the fact that he was on the trial, Frank Balistrieri's tax trial or whatever. Right. 
I mean, it, if it could actually be determined that he was bribed or blackmailed or whatever into helping Balistri on his tax case, eh, maybe there's something there. But I I don't know how to prove that. And ultimately, Balistri went to prison anyway. So it, it so, yeah, wasn't he, that good. <laughs> could have done a better job if he was trying to help him. Yeah. So now we're up to the 1970s. This is how far we're moving Holy along crap. here. In the 1970s, Angie's Cocktail Bar on North Water Street in Milwaukee. Angie's Cocktail Bar is run by Angelo Provenzano, uh, because that's what you call a guy named Angelo. You call him Angie. They had a fire. The fire started in a concrete room in the basement. The burn damage was minor, but the smoke damage was extensive. The fire department believed that if the fire wasn't put out, it would have gone out on its own, but not before causing smoke damage to all five floors of the building. Nobody knew what had caused the fire. The manager at Angie's was Frank Provenzano, not working at the IRS anymore. He's now the manager for his brother's bar. While firefighters were putting out the blaze, Frank Provenzano apparently gave them a hard time and told them, hey, careful where you spray that water. I don't want you damaging the interior. We just recently remodeled it. But that's about it. A rumor did come in that on the night of the fire, Provenzano... Angelo Provenzano was seen in the lobby of the Savings and Loan who owned the building, and he seemed very nervous. What that means, I don't know. <laughs> but apparently being being seen nervous before a fire means that clearly you started the fire. That's the implication. <laughs> nobody, nobody was able to even suggest that. FBI agents interviewed Frank Provenzano at his home. He declined to talk about any association he had with Frank Balistri, other than to say that he hadn't seen Balistri for many years. Provenzano was asked about the fire at Angie's, and he said he didn't know what caused it. He said he was in financial difficulties, so he did not expect that they would ever reopen Angie's ever again because they couldn't afford to rebuild it. Provenzano further said that if the FBI wanted to know about his problems with the IRS, they'd have to talk to his attorney because he wasn't going to go through that again. <laughs> And that's it. That's everything that I have in my in my records. The two brothers disappear from the record after that, not coming up in the FBI files or news accounts. Um, beyond Brother Frank's employment troubles, neither really had any legal issues or any ties to known mafia members. Um, you know, there's always more evidence out there that I haven't seen. There's always things that are sooner or later are going to find their way out. Um, so, you know, things could change, but... As of now, this whole point of the story today is just being like, this rumor was like, this guy is going to be the new head of the mafia. I don't even know if he was in the mafia. <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to explore that rumor. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Because in all of the FBI reports and police reports and everything else, like he never came up. He was never like interviewed about what he knew about anything. And most of these guys are going to come up a hundred times. And this guy, this is it. This is every single thing I have on this guy. So, yeah, when I guess the point of this is when you read in, in an FBI report, police report, whatever, that an informant told them something, it's important to know who the informant is because it'll completely change how reliable the information oh, is. I don't know who the informant was in this case, but I'm fairly confident that they had no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, and it kind of takes you to the thought of like, okay, why did they say this? Why did, you know, like, right. are they just trying, trying to, Yeah, it almost sounds like, I imagine like a cop putting pressure on an informant to get more information and more information. So 
the dude just makes something up to make yeah. the cop happy or something like that, you know? Yeah, and and I don't know. That's that's the problem is when you don't know the name of the informant, it's really hard to know why they why say what they it. say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and maybe maybe the informant had a a beef with this guy. Yeah, with, with Alexandro or whatever. I probably just mutilated. You his did. Name. You did. Uh, Angelo. 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 But yes. But but yeah, and and that could very well be. A, you see that a lot actually, where like a guy is under suspicion and they go talk to his ex-wife. Like, of course, the ex-wife is going to say all kinds of things, some of which are probably true, and some of them which might not be true. How many people would you feel that you have uncovered a story such as this, Mm -hmm. that it's the same situation where you start looking into the person, it's like, I have a hard time believing this person was anyway associated with the mafia not not just like mob mob boss yeah, you know yeah. rumors but but just stories that come up throughout your research that you look into it and you're like how did this happen this guy doesn't even this is just some dude it, <laughs> you know it happens uh, this is definitely like more on the extreme end um because yeah they're like he's going to be the next mob boss whereas like i don't think that he knows anything about this But it does come up where, you know, the information is questionable. But usually, usually when the information is questionable, you can correct it pretty easily because there's enough good information coming in that when something is like wildly wrong, it's pretty obvious that it's wildly wrong. Um, So this is this is really on the edges of of what's normal, because, yeah, the, the FBI was and probably is actually pretty good. It isn't like they just heard a rumor and they ran with it. They'd usually, you know, ask three, four, five people, and then they'd kind of make sure that they're getting similar stories from multiple people before they even start really looking into things further. Because, yeah, you don't know. People will say the the darndest things about, you know, Is there whoever. like, uh, on this file with this testimony or how, however it comes, whatever the FBI file yeah. looks like that yeah. you're looking at, do they have like a like was this a closed thing or I mean can you tell how much time they spent looking into this or well, was it, was it just something that came across their desk they looked at it and they're like yeah this is probably not anything legitimate I don't recall exactly which file this came from originally but clearly because of the fact that I don't have them coming up again yeah it was probably pretty quickly dismissed like this was in this probably the testimony of this guy and then they pretty much just yeah they, they never really did anything yeah it's it. like they might have kept people on their radar a little bit because you know they you can see they check back you know maybe twice just being like what are these guys up to but that's about it like it's not like usually like once they know you're somebody they're not gonna leave you alone they're they're following you around they're checking your phone records they're doing everything they can just to make all the connections they can. Um, sometimes they do some really questionable things, you know, they'll pull your bank accounts and stuff. Things that are probably not legal, but the FBI didn't care. But yeah, this guy, they 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 didn't even run like a real background check on him. So they couldn't have taken it that seriously. And so it did pretty much everything from this article come out of the come out of the FBI file that this this uh CI was ta- that mentioned that he could become mob boss or did you get these names and then look into each of the people individually, more or less? Do you understand what I'm saying? It came up from – it was the informant first. 
it like I said, I don't remember which file it was in, but it would have been mentioned in somebody else's file or it may be a general file. There's a file that was like a dumping file for just general mafia conversation stuff, um, which I can tell you is FBI file 92-MW-262. <laughs> uh, that's the that's the general mafia dumping file. But um, but yeah, but it, when this came up, if there had been mentioned that either of these guys had a file, I would have requested that file. But it wasn't even mentioned. So I don't even know these guys were ever really investigated beyond just they came up coincidentally here so, and there. So like the background story that you got from, in particular, like the brother, Frank? That, that, was, that came out of court records. Okay, okay. So you you read about this and then you went and researched those two people. Yes. And did they mention the brother at all in the file or did when you investigated? Frank, Frank comes up later when the FBI is like asking around after the fire, but that's the only time he comes up. He doesn't get investigated as far as his IRS troubles. The FBI didn't care about his IRS troubles. And the IRS thing, I knew about that a little bit because it had been mentioned like in the Frank Bassery tax stuff. But then also, yeah, he did end up going to court because that when they put him under oath and he said, no, I didn't I didn't do that. Well, he, he appealed the hell out of that, which is why it ends up getting dropped. But then all the appeals are now on the record. So there's there's a pretty good there's a pretty good court record of everything they did to try to get this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, whether again, I'm personally suspicious that he was going around making advances <laughs> on people. Like I think that I think that they were they were uh, they were kind of targeting him a little bit. Yeah, and it almost seems like a possibility that they were like, "Hey, go." try to get this guy to do something or something right. so we can get him fired or whatever. Right. I so. mean, not like it doesn't happen. Like, you know, if 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 you're a straight guy and you've got a, a female employee working underneath you, I mean, it's not right, but it's not uncommon that there's some flirting going on there. I'm not personally gay, but I assume that, you know, it could happen there. If, if you're a gay dude and you've got a handsome guy working underneath you, you might say, hey, you're looking really <laughs> handsome today, you know. But that's not, to me, that's not the same as being like, hey, we should go in a, that, in a corner somewhere. Yeah, and just yeah, like, that, you know. <laughs> that's not making advances. That's right. Just- right. So I feel like... But you also, like I said, have, I don't know the details, but I feel like they're reading into it more just to get the guy. But you also do have to remember that this was in what the fifties that that happened, or was that he was all? he was employed in the fifties, but they didn't really start pushing him out to the sixties. So some, but even still, it was a lot different. Oh, absolutely, to, to, to be a gay person back then. Oh, where absolutely, I, even where, even the eighties, sure, where, absolutely. Where just looking at somebody might have been enough to. Get a person right. riled up. About no, no, it, no. Like, I, I, I completely understand that. So, but yeah, I'm saying that that's why I think, I think that the the accusations against him read differently today than they did then. Right, right. Because because exactly. now I read that and I'm like, what what did he do? Like what did, <laughs> what did he say? And to me, if, if somebody happens to be gay and they come and they're like, hey, I like what you did with your hair today. That is not making advances on me. Yeah. You know? But like but in that time if they were like, Oh, but we we know this guy's gay, he's trying to pick me up. You know? So yes, it's it's probably a completely different thing, but I don't have the actual 
arrest record and all the details to know what it was that they thought was yeah. crossing the line. Which would be really interesting to see. Because yeah. Because I, I would just love to know exactly. I think it could be very comical what <laughs> happened. Yeah. To be like, oh my God, the guy lost his job over that. <laughs> you know, right. You know. Yeah, I don't, I don't personally believe that he was actually – you know, like what we would consider sexual. I don't think he was doing any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it was a short one. I okay. mean, I guess not a super short one, but well, like okay. I said, we're gonna we're gonna breeze through these a little quicker from here on out, so so we don't go off on tangents. Well, we're still gonna go off on tangents, but yeah. you know, not uh, we're not getting too many names, getting people confused, just keeping the story simple. Cool. All right. Well, that'll wrap this week's episode up. Um. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Also, if you really like this podcast, don't forget about the Patreon. Um, You can go to Milwaukee Mafia right there on the main screen. There's a little link to click to join the Patreon. And Gavin, you want to hit them up with the normal contact info? Sure. You can email me, uh, milwaukeemafia at gmail.com. I'm trying to get better about checking my Gmail. Uh, you can go to milwaukeemafia.com where you'll find the show notes and other material. FBI files are posted on there, all kinds of things. Uh, to go in a little more detail. And you can find me on Facebook. So uh, you can probably find Eric on Facebook too. But Yes, but, you can. But why, but why do you want to talk to Eric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty boring. So, <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with the Patreon. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.